You know, it's just important for the singers to be spirit-filled as it is for the preacher. Just as important for the musicians to be spirit-filled as it is for the preacher. And I tell you something, I'd rather hear one spirit-filled song from spirit-filled people than I would all the herky-jerky in all the wide world. Amen? And... Um, I, that, that was good. That was soul food we just heard. Amen. Soul food. <laughs> Speaking of food, uh, uh, take your Bibles tonight. Turn to Proverbs chapter number 19. Proverbs chapter number 19. And uh, we'll jump back in where we left off at our last time together. Proverbs in chapter number 19. Next week, next Wednesday, good Lord willing, will be the two-year mark of studying uh, the book of Proverbs. And uh, so, uh, if we keep the same pace, we've got about a year left. And if we speed it up, we have less. If we drag it out, we have more. And uh, you see how I did that? Um, but anyway, uh, I've enjoyed it. I, I, I've, I've enjoyed it. And, uh, and uh, I love this time. There's many things about my week I love. But I love, uh, I love the Wednesday afternoon study time. I have a block of time set aside. And... I can't tell you how I've enjoyed. I don't know if y'all had any fun, but I've had so much fun. And just thinking through and meditating on these Proverbs and just um, and getting my mind and heart ready. So I've already had a good time. I don't know if you're going to have a good time, but I've had a good time this afternoon. And so let's jump in together, and I believe we can have a good time together. Father, I love you tonight. I thank you for the word of God. Fill me, please, again with your Holy Spirit. Communicate thy truth, supernaturally communicate thy truth to the hearts of your people. Build our lives through your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We start with the eighth verse, and you'll find this so closely related to a verse we spent significant time on last Wednesday, which is verse number three. We'll read verse eight, then we'll remind ourselves of verse three and begin to talk about the verse. He that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. Loveth his own soul. He that keepeth understanding shall find good. Now that's closely related to uh, verse number three. It's sort of the, the inverse of it, if you will. The corresponding opposite, if you will. The foolishness of man perverteth his way. And his heart fretteth against the Lord. That's the verse we talked about, how you mess up your own path and then you blame God for it. Remember that? Well, this verse, sort of the inverse of it, says, He that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. Loveth his own soul. Folks, listen to me. You, you say, I have been trying to stuff, stuff down my throat. Yes. Yes, we are. It's called wisdom. And it's good for you. We do not this for our own advantage. We're not getting brownie points or presents. We're trying to help you help yourself. That's why we're doing this. Young people, this is for you. Re receive it. Wisdom will help your own soul. Do you understand how many troubled souls there are? We talk about the soulless region of a man. We talk about his decision maker. We talk about his emotions. We talk about his mental, what the world would call mental health. What the world would call emotional health. Listen, this is a book for mental and emotional health. Troubled consciences will put you on medication the rest of your life. You won't sleep. 
you'll fret, you'll worry. You get wisdom and apply it, and there's no peace in the world like the peace of knowing that you've done the right thing. You can't put that in pill form. So, he that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. He that keepeth holdeth on to understanding shall find good. Let me say it this way. Shall find out that it was good. <laughs> don't turn loose of it and then find out otherwise. Hold on to it. He said, well, I don't know what's so good about this. Hold on to it till you do. Amen. Hold on to it. Why does the burden of... Look, please don't forget. Young people, please don't forget. The Bible says, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Proving what is acceptable. Do you know who the burden of proof is? is upon is on me and you to find out what's acceptable Lord. So, so sometimes we act like like it's it's on the pastor, it's on mama, it's on daddy, it's on the Christian school teacher, it's on the uh, Sunday school teacher, it's on the youth pastor to prove to me why I shouldn't listen to rock music. You got rocks in your head. That's not your youth pastor, that's your job. You get your Bible down and you and you discover from your Bible what, what uh, Lester Roloff didn't know and Tom Malone didn't know and Dr. Jack Howes didn't know and Dr. Curtis Hudson didn't know and Dr. John Rice didn't know and Bill Rice didn't know and Moses didn't know, then you'll have something. But what you want to do is you want to do your own thing and say, well, no one, ever, no one ever made it clear to me. Whose job is it for you to search the scriptures, friend? Now listen, if you've got any sense at all, you're going to hold on to what is to the understanding you've been given. And, and if, you, if you're smart, what you'll do is you'll trust wise people till you figure it out on your own. I think it was H.G. Chesterton. I've repeated it in the past. It's been a while since I said it. But if you, listen, if you find a fence, don't you take it down until you figure out why it was put there in the first place. Amen? People say, well, I don't know why I have to do this. Exactly. Exactly. Well, no, I don't understand why. Exactly. Right. And since you don't, <laughs> okay. Don't, here's the statement. Don't turn loose of what you know is right. Don't turn loose of what you know is right. Don't do it. Young people, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't turn loose of what you know is right. Look, this world, the Bible says it's going to be, this world's going to just... Slide more and more and more. That's its world. Nobody in a million years, well, excuse me, 50 years ago, not, not one in a hundred sincere people would say, nah, that'll never happen in the church. Certainly not a Baptist church. But it's happening everywhere. Listen, young man grew up in our youth group. He's in his mid-20s now. And he waited for me. It hadn't been years. It hasn't been years. He moved away. Hadn't been in years. He waited for me at the back door. And he said, Pastor. And he, said, he told me where he lived. He said, can you help me find a good church? He said, I am sick and tired. Uh, uh, let's see, how did he say it? I told the staff. Contemporary scene. Uh, he's, what is it? Uh, thank you. He said, I am sick and tired of the contemporary scene. He's still in his 20s. He said, I am sick and tired of the contemporary scene. Amen. He said, can you find me a church like this where I live? 
Now, I, quite frankly, I hope I can. I don't know. I sent him a, a, a suggestion in the mail today. Um, but first, listen. It, okay. I, I, let me ask you another question. If we turn loose of it, what do you think is going to happen after us? If we turn loose, if we start turning loose of what we know is right, what do you think those going to come after? What do you think they're going to do? And pray tell me how you can say to your own children, well, we're going to turn loose of this, and then they don't get to do the same thing. Well, I'm only doing it on, yeah, and that's exactly what they're going to say. Oh, this is so good. I wish I could talk to America right now. I do, I do, and I mean that sincerely. Just because we're getting stranger and stranger, it's not because of what we've done. It's, it's just we're still doing what we used to do. And we're going to get stranger and stranger because the world's getting weirder and weirder. And as the world changes, if you just stay put, you'll be more and more different. Now the Bible said you get that wisdom and you'll be helping your own soul. Young people, let me say it, say it this way. Don't make choices. Don't make choices. You'll be justifying the rest of your life. Don't make choices. You'll be justifying the rest of your life. Luke 12, 48. You say, well, good night, Pastor. I know. Listen, listen. Do you know what we're responsible for? First of all, we're responsible for this book, and we're responsible for getting to know this book. But let me say it this way. We are responsible for what we know. The Bible says the times of ignorance God winks at, but once you know, he doesn't wink anymore. The time of ignorance God winked at. In other words, people don't know any better God said. They didn't know any better. Well, guess what? You sit in these pews very long. Or seats, you sit in these seats very long. You, you know, you're going to know better. Now, what you do with that's up to you. But if you'll take it and apply it, You'll be helping your own soul. Look at verse number 10. By the way, we skip verse 9 because we touched on that last week, so we'll keep going. Verse number 10. Delight is not seemly. That word seemly means uh, a suitable or, or, or uh, suitable. Delight is not seemly, suitable, fitted for a fool. That's interesting. Much less for a servant to have rule over princes. Okay, so we're talking about two things that are not, not suitable. They don't fit. They're not seemly, okay? Delight. Now, this is an interesting word. I, I uh, looked the word up, how it's used elsewhere in the Bible, and that sometimes helps you understand a word. The word, this same word, delight, is translated luxury in your Bible. And through that, little tool, it's not, not hard to find such a tool, but it, but it uh, sheds light on, on this particular word. And uh, so the, the, uh, uh, you, you might say it this way, uh, uh, delights sometimes, you know, uh, uh, what do you call a little, <laughs> here we are, food again, little, little sweet things, you know, and little fancy little desserts, De delect delectable, is that what you call it? Is, that, is there a word for this? Oh, uh, anyway, 
How many of you have a clue what I'm talking about? You can kind of, okay, are you with me? All right, so here's some, some little dainties, some little delectables, some little uh, uh, chocolates. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, stuff rich kids eat. Amen, you know. Uh, so, so the Bible says that these delights or luxuries, if you will, uh, uh, are not seemly, not suitable for a fool. They're not suited to a person's character. All right. So um, uh, let, me give, let me give you a quick verse. Ecclesiastes 2 and uh, verse number 8. Um, uh, 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 is where the word is used. Is, uh, is the word... I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasures of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights, there it is, the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. In other words, here's Solomon. He's cataloging all the stuff he got in those verses before. He said, I had vineyards. I had orchards, I had gardens, I had swimming pools, I had servants, I had houses, blah, blah, blah. And then he uses the word delights. So I think we could take from that what he's saying is that these, these luxuries, if you will, of life. So here's the verse. A fool, of course, somebody who makes dumb decisions, somebody who doesn't have all his scruples. He's not using the knowledge, wisdom, understanding that he's been given. Here's what I am taking from this verse. A luxurious lifestyle is not suited to the character of a fool. You know, a fool is dangerous enough. A fool with money is even more dangerous. You understand? Prosperity corrupts even wise men and makes fools stoop to new depths of depravity. Rare is the person with character so strong that luxury will not hurt him. To this person, money is not an end to be desired, but simply a tool to accomplish good. Now, young people, you say, well, I'm not rich. But if you talk to your grandparents, if your grandparents could come back from the grave, your great-grandparents could come back from the grave, they would say, y'all are rich. Yes, they would. Yes, they would. Now, here's the thing. Young people, listen carefully. You can't let that spoil you. You can't let that ruin you. May I make a suggestion, parents? Uh, and I, I try to say these things. You know, I don't think any parent here needs to sit in judgment of another parent, especially me. My third child's a wreck. But anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, Anyway, what was I going to say? Uh, she's smiling, so we're okay. Uh, we don't need to sit in judgment of each other. But, but can, can you tell you something? If, when a kid becomes demanding, you know, you need to step in. I'm not trying to be unkind anyway. Some of your kids come up and say, preacher, 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 preacher. You need to train them. You don't want, you, listen, demanding kids become demanding teenagers and adults, and nobody likes them. I love your kid, but... He's getting hard to like. Is everybody okay? And, and you ask any honest person sitting around you, and they're going to tell you the same thing. Now, I don't want your kid just to be loved. I want to be liked. Amen? So, so, young people, listen. Listen. 
There's only two ways to keep you from being spoiled. In this generation right here, and any kid in this room, there's only two things that are keep you from being a spoiled brat. And when I say spoiled, I mean you have luxuries where you think, I don't have luxuries. I don't have luxuries. My phone is four years old. My $800 phone don't even have 5G. I'm still on 3G. Okay. All right. Okay. This is only two things keep you from being a spoiled brat. Now listen carefully because you mark this down. Number one, gratitude. And number two, generosity. Those two things, you, if, you're, if you're grateful and generous, you can be filthy rich and it won't spoil you. But the sad thing is this. Most, most people, many people, I'll say, many people cannot handle luxuries, delights, prosperity. It changes them. So here's a statement. Here's a statement I want you to write down. Don't let things change you. Don't let things change you. You know what I love to do? You know, I love to, I, I love to interact with people. I love to get the stop sign and look over at the guy and smile, especially if he's in a really nice car. When somebody's in a really nice car, look, the guy, look, I like to look at him and go, <laughs> Now, listen, let me tell you, if he, I, I, I can tell you if he's humble or not. When he goes, and when he goes, that guy's cocky as the day is long. Man, look, same way as people paint their hair green. You look at him and go, what? You painted your hair green. Did you paint your hair green so nobody would look at it? Do you drive a car like that so nobody will look at it? No. Kids, listen. Nothing wrong with having nice things. If God's blessed you with nice things, thank the Lord for it. But you stay humble and grateful and you be generous. Amen? You be generous. To whom much is given, much shall be required. Verse 11. The discretion. <clears throat> this is a good one right here. Mm. The discretion... And that that, uh, that word discretion, we would say, could mean good judgment. I'm going to give you more particulars about it in a moment. The discretion or good judgment of a man deferreth, that means put off, deferreth his anger. And it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Transgression, somebody crossed the line, right? So the discretion or the good judgment of a man deferreth his anger. And it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Let me just give you the statement and then I'll expound on it. Overlook a lot of things. <laughs> this will save your marriage, young people. Overlook a lot of things. Like my socks on the floor. <laughs> well, not my socks, but uh, anyway, your socks. Uh, overlook a lot of things. 
in life, listen, if you're gonna if you're gonna touch people's lives, you're gonna help people, if you're gonna have a happy home, happy marriage, you're just gonna have to learn to overlook a lot of things. You're gonna have to. You cannot have World War III over everything. Now I'm not saying everything is trivial. That's not the message of this verse. But a man that has good judgment sometimes says, mm, yeah, I really want to. But that's not worth getting angry over. The word discretion, this is very interesting. I love uh, the old Webster's Dictionary. The word discretion, you can find, it, you find this in it, comes from a Latin word which means separating. Think about that. Our English word discretion is uh, from a Latin word which means separating. So discretion, listen carefully, discretion then is the ability to separate. Now, a lot of when we say uh, that person lacks discretion, most of the time when we say that, what we're, we're talking about uh, an area of propriety. When we say that lady lacks discretion or that man lacks discretion, a man that sniffs people's hair lacks discretion. An adult man in public view. <laughs> okay. So, but, but, Hey, getting in the car by yourself with somebody you're not married to and, and, and taking a chance to compromise your testimony, that you, you lack discretion as well. Wearing something provocative, you lack discretion, ladies. You lack discretion. You're not thinking. You're not thinking. Um... So think about this. Discretion comes from the word means separating. So discretion is the ability to separate what's appropriate and what is not appropriate. Right? And into other areas, it's the ability to separate fact from fiction. It's the ability to separate hearsay from actual witness testimony. It's the ability to separate a rumor from that which is provable fact. It's the ability to separate an emotional response from a wise response. Here the scripture said, this man has discretion, deferreth his anger. You know, I was thinking about this, meditating on this verse. We get, many times, we get angry because we don't stop to separate. Fact from fiction, rumor from actual provable eyewitness testimony. We listen with our hearts, we listen with our emotions, and we put our brain on mute. And we get all knotted up inside. Hey, hey, use some discretion. I, I, listen, this society, this society that just constantly, we have a news media, it's near impossible to find honesty. 
it's just, you won't know Satan's the prince power of the air and you, five minutes you're going to be lied to a dozen times. In 95% of news media. That was an arbitrary number, but most of news media, how's that? We know so little of biblical justice. We know so little and practice so little of biblical justice. And ministries have been destroyed. Homes have been destroyed. Good names have been destroyed. The Bible still says, we've studied it over and again. I've taught it. It still says two witnesses. Go back and check it again if you want to. And it still says the same thing. Multiple times, Old Testament and New Testament. Let me tell you something. Two rumors don't make one witness. Twenty rumors don't make a witness. A hundred don't make a witness. A media post doesn't make a witness. A YouTube video, a TED Talk doesn't make a witness. What is the HBO documentary? doesn't make it a witness. Here's something. If you, if you, if you, if God puts you in leadership, young men, here's something you'll learn and maybe even say, and I've, I don't say it often, but I've said it several times. If I knew what you knew about this matter, I would agree with you. If I knew what you knew about this matter, I would agree with you. And by the way, understanding that allows me not to be judgmental of judgmental people. (laughs) We, We are addicted. We are addicted to negative news media. We're addicted in our society to face negative Facebook posts. We're addicted to negative media. We are addicted of, of sitting in judgment. Right. I, I remember sitting one time with one of the finest men I know for two hours. And I'm trying to be a peacemaker. For over two hours, accusation after accusation, laid on him and he never never gave a rebuttal and I knew why because he could not give a rebuttal without gossiping about someone else and by his character he refused to do it that was an honorable man most godly pastors that get attacked have enough truth that if they wanted to, could destroy their detractors. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about my pastor. My pastor of seven years was lied about 13 times about his personal character and fidelity and never once defended himself until his wife, his deacon board, and key staff members were, were, were slandered. And then he came to the pulpit and dropped a megaton bomb. But you know why a man would put up with that kind of garbage? Because that's a man who will not... Listen, you will never win a mudslinging event. You never will. Now let me tell you something. 
the Bible says, the Bible said that the men of God, both the deacons and the pastor, bishop, twice, it says that he should be blameless. You know what that word blameless means? It means it doesn't stick. That's what it means. Well, they lied about me. Okay. You just keep on doing right. You keep on being what you ought to be. And after a while, people with any wisdom whatsoever. Now, you, listen, if a person eat up with bitterness or uh, uh, jealousy or the Bible said uh, wrath is cruel, anger is outrageous, but who can stand before envy? Envy will take down the finest people. If you're eat up with envy, you're eat up with jealousy or whatever else, there's, there's, there's little to no hope for you. But any sincere person can watch a person's character. God, all, listen, God Almighty in his word said, be sure your sin will find you out. I don't know who you are, but if you're sitting here tonight and you got something to hide, don't, you, don't, you don't think God won't blow the top off you? And me. God is consistent with his character. Yes, he will. Here's what he's saying. Don't lose confidence in people too quickly. Learn to overlook some things. Especially when your emotions are involved. Now, there's nobody in this room... Uh, that has a thing in the world to worry about. But your pastor loves you and folks spot all over this room. I could hurt your character if I wanted to. I never will. I never will. Not going to. I will and have plenty of times before and will again endure unjust criticism to honor your confidence. That's what I'll do. And I know, listen, I know just that much of what that feels like. <coughs> I know just that much of what that feels like. <coughs> some of the men that we, some of the men that we're, we're uh, <coughs> honoring, well, actually all of them, <laughs> every one of the men that we're honoring this year, every single one of them had mud thrown at them. Every single one of them. <clears throat> By the way, if you're a garbage collector, all you got to do, hit a few buttons and you can find all the garbage you want to have. I hope you have enough sense not to eat out of the garbage pails. The garbage is not new. It's been around a long time. But by God's grace, we're going to tell the good. Amen. We're going to lift up and exalt these men of God by his grace. Verse number 12. Enough on that. The king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion, <clears throat> but his favor is as dew upon the grass. The king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion, but his favor is as dew upon the grass. And this talks about two sides of a, of a leader's character. A king and royal, kids, if you have royal character, if you have the character of a king, then you're gonna have both sides. But there's a, there's a, there's a, a but is a conjunction, is that right? Conjunction, but there's a conjunction. So he, state, he makes a statement, the king's wrath is as the roaring lion. Whoa, man, the king was mad today. But however, in contrast, his favor is as dew upon the grass. So it, it, the way I read that verse is that he casts a, a brighter light on the second part of the verse than he does the first part of the verse. Does that make sense? In other words, yes, I, it's almost like he's saying, yeah, I know when the king, you know, I know when he gets, you know, he lays down the law, boy, whoa, man, it's like a lion, you know, but. Man, when he shows favor. Oh, it's so refreshing. So here's what I want to say. Here's a statement. 
Wise is the leader who reserves his roar. <laughs> Wise is the leader who reserves his roar. Hey, folks, if you yell all the time, you don't ever yell. Which is why your kids don't listen to you. Yeah, it's true. A little bit of that, and guess what? You get tuned out. You know, little, little, little people, little people, are real, they're smart. They're smart. Now, I've told you this a million times, but I didn't worry about my dad raising his voice. I worried about when he lowered it. So, wise is the leader who reserves his roar. You know, pity the leader who keeps everybody on edge. Oh, can I meddle here for a minute? Dad, do you keep the household on edge? Don't poke the bear. Sir? Mama? Mama, how about you? Do you keep the, the household on edge? A true leader is calm, a true leader calmly, steadily moves forward. Now, if there are occasions when you have to roar, and you've got to have the courage to roar when you need to roar. I remember when that horse, uh, Livy's on the, um, wasn't long after we got Chestnut, and she, we, we, we put the saddle on Chestnut, and she was doing pretty good. Chestnut, he had a little mind of his own, and if you rode him a little bit, he settled out. But uh, she was pretty young. I, I don't know how she was, probably 12, 13, maybe. And she got on Chestnut, and she's, and, and she's going through the pasture, and he, he just got ahead of his own. He took off. And, and you could see her as you come up the pasture. And there's a lot of trees in our pasture. And you could see the panic on her face. And I was, we were afraid. And when she got close to where she got, I said, pull the reins! And she was more scared of me than she was Chestnut. And she went, Rawr! and 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 we avoided what could have been a very, very bad situation. Now, you know why that meant something? Because she never heard that quite like that before. Dad never looked at her like that. Dad, Dad never spoke to her that way. And she knew that something was going on. Now, she had fear to overcome, and she needed a roar. Dad, you need to be able to roar. Some of you dads, meow. <laughs> you, you, need, you need to get your roar. I didn't mean for that to be funny, but uh, since we're all laughing, uh, you, Dad, you got to be able to do that. You got to have a backbone. You know, you got to be able to say no, no, we, no, we don't. And let me and people, some of you dads can start. How about this? Hey, boy, 
You don't talk to your mother that way. How about that? How about start right there? By the way, this is not, this is off script. <laughs> Mama, you ought to do that for dad. Dad, you ought to do that for mom. Now, some of you moms say it's not going to help. Some of you moms are like salivating. I can't get where I get home. You've been yelling half your life, so I'm not talking to you. Okay? I'm talking to the ones who need this. Now, Mama, by the way, Mama, don't you manipulate. Don't, don't you do it. Don't you do it. Don't you stab your husband in the back. Don't you with a piney, pining face and a whiny voice pretend like you're behind a closed door telling your husband how hard he is. Now, you, you, you do that when they're asleep or when they're at school. You talk about it. He needs your input, but don't you manipulate him. Don't you, do, don't you undercut his authority. Don't you do it. Don't you step in. If he's, if he's disciplined, you leave him alone and vice versa, by the way. If she starts in on him, Leave it alone. If you think it's too harsh, then you wait behind closed doors and you say, hey, can we talk about this? Listen, I've advised it. Sometimes, sometimes it's best for a season. I don't think it ought to be a way of life. But for a season, let one, one parent do that part and, and the other not until something emotional is straightened out. But I'll tell you what you need to do. You've got to back each other. L- listen, no... No mom ought to feel this way. No dad ought to feel this way. No mom ought to feel like she's hung out to dry doing all the discipline. No dad ought to feel like he's hung out to dry doing all the discipline. And listen, when dad comes home from work, if dad's been working all day, he don't want to come home and beat the kids. Mommy, you beat them. You're at home with them. First of all, you need to do it and get it over with. I'm talking about biblical discipline, okay, please. I know we've got some new Christians in here, all right? Listen, if you need to pop, pop, you pop, pop. Just get with it. Do it and get it over with. Don't drag that thing out. Eight hours from now, your dad's going to be home and doom is coming to you, buddy boy. <laughs> the kid is depressed all day long for crying out loud. He took a cookie, pop his little behind and then smile and go on. <laughs> a leader, let me give you another thought. A leader is one who hides his panic. A leader is one who hides his panic. Rudyard Kipling's famous poem begins with, If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, and ends with, Yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and, which is more, you'll be a man, my son. The world needs some leaders not leaders who are never afraid. And there's no, there's no reason for you to pretend like you don't ever get afraid. But we need leaders who, when they're panicked, keep their composure. The New Testament verse for this is, In your patience possess ye your souls. Get a hold of yourself. A leader is one who has a roar, yet almost never uses it. He would rather refresh His favor is as dew upon the grass. He'd rather refresh than petrify. He'd rather soothe than startle. He'd rather build than humiliate. 
but he is willing to roar when the occasion demands it. And wise is the leader who reserves his roar. Amen. It's good stuff, isn't it? I like the Bible.